Well, we are in the conclusion of a series, Extreme Home Makeover, which, uh, if you're just joining us, yeah, you're at the end of the movie, and I'll do my best to catch you up, but it's loosely based on that television show, Extreme Makeover, the home edition, where Ty Pennington would famously, at the end of the show, after they did a major renovation on a, on a family's house, would say, bus driver, move that bus. And suddenly, it, it, you get, I still get chills even thinking about that moment. Tears would well up, and it, it'd, be, it'd be something. Uh, and, and we, you know, we're, this series is, is based on the move that bus moment. So, can you imagine having a renovation in a relationship? Whether it's your marriage, whether it's a friendship, whether it's as a parent with your kids, maybe with a coworker, where you have a move this bu- that bus moment where there's a complete renovation and and something miraculous would would occur and happen. Before you can do a, a major renovation, however, you have to make sure that the foundation is solid. You have to make sure the foundation is is good because there's no point on on remaking a home if the foundation is is faulty and we've been looking in this series at some foundations that are vital for marriages for relationships to be built on the first week we looked at the first foundation being love not love as the world describes love but world as you know, love the way that Jesus describes love Jesus it, it, he said that love as I have loved and Jesus kind of love was it was different, wasn't it? I mean, his, his kind of love was unconditional. The Bible describes his kind of love as one that is patient and kind and never fails and never holds records of wrongs. That was Jesus' kind of love. And he, he asked us to love like that, not based on feelings where we fall in and out of love. You can't fall out of love if love never fails, right? Like, it, it's, it's not based on, on a feeling. The foundation of a healthy relationship is built on the Jesus kind of, of love. We also learned that we have to build a relationship on, on healthy communication. Communication that happens when, when there's an environment that is safe, where both parties in communicating feel safe or have a sense of safety. And if one doesn't feel safe, nothing, the communication is not going to happen. If one feels Insecure. If one feels unsafe for any, you can't have communication. But if both feel safe, you can communicate about anything. And so a healthy relationship has to be built on, on communication. We also looked at, at this verse in, in Philippians 2 where it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as, as Jesus. The same mindset. Not, not just in your church life, in your religious life, but it says in your relationships with one another. This is in your marriages, in your relationships with one another. This is with your co-workers. Ouch. In your relationships with one another, this is with your neighbors. This is with, this is with your kids. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. Not just in your church life, but in your work life, in your home life, in all of your relationships, have the same mindset as Jesus. And then Paul said this in, in Galatians. He says, what happens if you have the same mindset as Jesus? He said, what happens when we live God's way? Just imagine this in your relationships. He brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity, that's peace in a home. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the the heart, a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and 
people. And then he says this, we find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, not needing to force relationships, not needing to force uh, you know, ourselves, but able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Now, all of these things are, are the fruit of living God's way. This is the result of living God's way. And, and all of these are incredibly important when it comes to relationships. However, today I want to focus on, on the next foundation that is in this verse. And it says, and it, specifically, this is the way Paul says it, it's a basic holiness. A basic holiness as a foundation that I think is, is so key to our relationships. We have a foundation of loving like Jesus loved. We have a foundation of communication and creating safety in communication. But we also need to have a foundation of, of as the Bible says, basic holiness. Now, when I use the term holiness, any of you who have been in church for any length of time or maybe specifically those who haven't been in part of church, you hear the word holiness and, you're, and immediately you're thinking old-fashioned, not relevant, and a whole lot of rules. Right? Because whenever we've been taught holiness, we've been taught all the things we can't do. And in fact, as Christians, you know, we often are more comfortable with what, you know, we're, we stand against than what we stand for. And those outside the church are more aware of what the church stands against, because we're always vocal about those things, right? Than what it's, we stand for. And so when we talk about holiness, we often think, well, that's just, that's the rules. That's, that's, you know, perfection. But look at even how the Webster Dix, Webster's Dictionary uh, defines holy. It, this is how, this is the definition of holiness from the dictionary. It says, it says, the state of being holy, purity or integrity of moral character, freedom from sin and sanctity. Okay. But then it says this, as applied to human beings, the word holiness is, uh, is purity of heart or disposition, sanctified affections, piety, moral goodness, but not perfect. Thank God for that last part, huh? <laughs> Moral goodness, but not perfect. Because we can't, we can't live up to God's standard of holiness. He's the only one that's perfect. We are all a bunch of imperfect human beings. But there's a, there's a moral goodness. There's a sanctified affections. These, these, these things are pillars or foundations that especially applied to our relationships are going to be a foundation that we can build on, that we can renovate relationships on, that we need, all of us need, a basic sense of holiness, standards, moral, you know, sanctified affections, you know, moral goodness. We need purity of heart. We need all of these applied to our relationships. Okay, so many people, including Christians, feel that the Bible is old-fashioned, that some of the rules, some of the, the, what we call moral goodness, some of the morality that is talked about in the Bible is, was good for back then, but is not applied for today. At, at least, whether we say it out loud or not, we kind of live that way, that there's certain rules that we will take and certain rules that we don't. And certain things that we apply in the Bible, certain things that we don't. And it's true that there are parts of the Bible that are, have been written that are specific to the season or to the people or to the time in which it was written. There's certain things that are, are, are rules, regulations that were specific to the people writ it was written to or the time it was written in. However, 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 we don't get to pick and choose which principles work or don't. 
We're not the king. That's a great place to say amen. Right? We, don't, we, we live by, under the king and under his, his principles. And, and while there's certain, there's certain uh, do's and don'ts in the Bible that might be specific of time, there's principles in the Bible that are timeless. And in particular, we're going to look at some of those principles today. In particular, there's principles in the Bible, especially ones that we feel are old-fashioned. There's specific principles in the Bible that are still as applicable or as, as more applicable today than ever before. And things that we need to apply basic holiness to our relationships in order to get the most out of our relationships. We, would we agree? It's okay to talk back to me. It's okay to, you know, to help me out here. This, this is great, right? We're all, I know we're all scared. Come on. We're going to talk about holiness. We're all bracing to leave this place feeling guilty and ashamed of how we, how we don't measure up. I promise you I'm not that preacher. Okay, we're, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna guilt you down and weigh you down because that didn't work for me growing up. It ain't gonna work for you. Like that's not how it is. However, we're going to take a look at some of these principles in the Bible and and see how we can apply them, or if we apply them, or if they're timeless, or what's there and what's not. Is that okay? In particular, we're gonna look at at First Corinthians six, and 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 one of the things that that we feel is old fashioned in a applicable to our relationships is the whole area of sexuality and, and what it is. And we look at the Bible as like, that's, that's then. And, and, and some of you even bracing harder now going, oh, here, great. Here we go. Um, just, just bear with me. Um, we will be gentle. Okay. But we're going to, we're going to, we're going to see some of these principles in the Bible. This is what Paul wrote. It's in particular, he's writing a letter to a church Okay, and, and he says this in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verse 16. He says, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. <laughs> Some of you are going, that's in the Bible? <laughs> this is the Bible. That's in, in the Bible. Yes, the Bible talks about sex. I was shocked when I was a kid and learned that the Bible talked about, I was, I was taught that sex is evil, sex is bad, sex is, and, I thought, like, and so when I, I was shocked, the Bible actually talks about Sexuality and, and like, yes. And Paul is writing to a church, so it's okay. If he's writing to a church and talking about it, it's okay for us to talk about it in church too, right? Okay, so he says, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fat. So what's he saying? Have you ever heard anybody say, well, it's just sex? It's, not a big, it's just sex. It's not a big deal. Our society, like, was well, just sex. According to Paul, it's not just sex. It's not just a physical act. There's something that spiritually happens between two humans that, that have sex with one another. There's something spiritual that happens as much or more than something just physical happening. And he's going, and he can't describe what it is that happens spiritually. So he goes, it's a mystery. It's a spiritual mystery, but there is a spiritual connection or a spiritual connectivity that happens. And he says it's more than just skin on skin. It's more than just a physical thing. There's something that happens spiritually. So he goes on and he says this, as written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want, uh, we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue uh, the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy. Whoa. He says, since we want to, he says in the scriptures, when it talks about marriage, he says the two become one. 
And he says, because of that, because of that, that truth, because of that, that, that fact, he says, we cannot, we, we cannot pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy. It doesn't sound like, to me, does it, doesn't sound like Paul's giving us an obey or else warning. Right? It doesn't sound like, okay, <laughs> I, I was led to believe that if you have sex outside of marriage, you're going to hell. Nobody else was ever taught that? Right? The truth is, come on, come on, church people, we're, we're going to do some theology here. Okay? The truth is, sex outside of marriage doesn't condemn anyone to hell any different than any other sin condemns people because Jesus dealt with the sin problem 2,000 years ago, right? He, he took all of that on the cross. He paid the punishment of sin so that we don't have to, right? It's sin. It's not our sin anymore that sends us to hell. Jesus dealt with that, correct? Right? We, we believe the Bible, right? That this, <laughs> Jesus became righteousness, is what Paul said. Jesus became righteousness, that's right standing with God, in our place. So, so that doesn't, I can't lose my right standing with God because of sin. Thank God or else all of us are out. <laughs> right? And by the way, sin is sin. So when Paul is talking about, when Paul is talking about this, this sex within the confines of commitment and intimacy, he's not saying or else. Okay, I want you to see that. He says, don't, don't pursue that kind of sex. Don't pursue that, of, that avoids commitment and intimacy, that just a physical act or just, that becomes, he explains there's something there that is not going to be healthy. It's not going to be Good. And he also seems to indicate in this verse that somehow our relationship with Jesus, with the master, will get affected by our relationship with others. And the Bible says this all over the place. John talks about this. You can't say you love God and hate your brother. And Paul seems to tie in as well. Paul seems to tie in that our relationships with others, how we treat people, Okay, whether that's within, you know, brother to brother, friend to friend, you know, couple to couple, Peter would say this. Hey, hey, husbands, treat your wife well if you want your prayers answered. That's, by the way, in, in the book of Peter as well. In other words, your, the answers to your prayer is directly affected by how you treat your wife, men. Like, whoa. Okay, that somehow our relationship with God is directly affected by how we treat and how we look at how we love others. There's this tithe all throughout the Bible. And, and Paul seems to indicate here that our relationship with Jesus is affected somehow, in some way, in a spiritual mystery by our intimate relationships as well, our sexual relationships as well. He goes on. He says, don't pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy. Why? Because, he goes on and explains, it leaves us more lonely than ever. That kind of sex can never become one. Wow, it's not an or else. He's like, you can hear him, you can hear how he's explaining this. He's saying, hey, you're going to be left more lonely than ever. Because something, there's going to be a spiritual tie. There's going to be something that all of a sudden 
disjointed, that's going to leave you lonelier than you were going in. Whoa. He goes on. There's a sense in in which sexual sins are different from all others. Now, this, this is Paul. He's just like, there's a sense. There's this, this feeling. Maybe he interviewed some people. I don't know. I, I saw a, a number of years ago, I saw um, people interviewing inmates in, in prison. People who had been convicted of their sins. <laughs> Not all of us have. But inmates in prison convicted of their sins. And it's, it, it's fascinating in these interviews the remorse that was shown from those who had committed sexual crimes was, and the shame attached to that was way more overwhelming than those who had committed any other crimes, including murder. And there's studies out there that have tied in that there's a shame that attached to our sexuality and attached to sexual sins in particular, there's a shame attached that's unlike any other sins. And Paul says there's a sense in which, the Bible says this, that, that sexual sin is different. And so he's paying attention. He's, he's saying, pay attention to this. Let's, let's talk about this. There's something that happens. What happens? He says, in sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. And these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love. Again, love like Jesus' love. For becoming one with another. Okay, in other words, he's saying God created all things with a purpose, including our bodies, including our sexuality. He gave us instructions on how to get the best from them. He didn't just put us on planet Earth and saying, have at her, figure it out. He gave us instructions. He goes on, Paul goes on, he says this, or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place? The place of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? Wow. Then he says, the physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Wait, wait, what? Let people see God in and through your body. What a, what, what a statement. Let people see God in and through your body. How? What? Like, and, and Paul wrote this. This is written, you know, 2,000 years ago to the church in Corinth, to the early church. And the early church took these instructions seriously because the early church lived in a very... Uh, sexual society. Corinth in particular, Corinth and Ephesus, these were very, very uh, sexually promiscuous Roman cultures. And, and in the time of, of, of Rome, in, in the Roman times, you know, mass, like we think we have a sexual culture now, they had, you know, orgies were kind of the normal. They, this is how people, people connect. This is the social activities. This was all, this was all part of what was normal in culture. In fact, in, in the city of Ephesus, that part of worship in the temple was prostitution. This is why Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus and, and wrote to Timothy, by the way, hey, you know, make sure like women have a place in the temple, have a place in, in the church. And it's not where, you, where they have culturally 
thought because sexuality was somehow part of, of, of worship and part of the culture. And so when Paul's writing this, he's writing this in a time and he's saying, listen, listen, we can be witnesses with our bodies as much as we can with our mouths. Like we can, there's, there's something we can represent. People are going to see God in us by how we treat others and how we respect and understand God's principles and God's, God's ways. And they took this seriously. In fact, this is a letter written by a, a Roman, I want to read it to you, by a Roman in observe, observation of the Christian church of the day. So it's called the so-called letter to Diognesus. And this is what he's, he's writing about Christians. He said this, they marry like everyone else and they beget children, but they do not cast out their offspring. This is talking about you know, abortion issues today. Back then, it wasn't abortion, it was exposure. And what would happen is if you had a child that you didn't want or a child that was... A female, you didn't want, you didn't want a, a little girl or, or a, a child that was deformed in some way. It was legal to dump your baby outside the city while they'd have baby dumps and just leave them to be exposed to the elements and to the wild animals and all the rest of it. And the church, by the way, they didn't go and picket Rome on changing the law. The church just went to the baby dumps and adopted the babies. <laughs> That's what they went and did. Okay, now watch. They said... They marry like everyone else. They have children, but they do not cast them out. They, they, don't, they don't do this. But then they said this. They share their board with each other, but not their marriage bed. The board it's talking about is, is their table, their, their meals. And that, that in Roman culture in the day is that you wouldn't have somebody over for just a meal. Like you just don't, you don't, you weren't, it wasn't a hospitable culture in that way, just inviting people over to your house and having a meal together. They wouldn't do that. But what they would do is they would have this, you know, they said they're going to share their meal with one another, but not their marriage bed. It was Roman culture to have orgies. Like you'd invite people over, it would turn into an orgy, like a sexual promiscuous, just all, all things go. And they said the church was the opposite of this. Christians were different because they'd invite people over for a meal, but that was it. And it stood out to them as they're different. <laughs> right? And they said they don't share their marriage bed. And that was, this is the Romans look at this like they're strange. And when Paul says, hey, let your bodies be a witness, it was. And then the letter goes on and said, it's true that they are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. Okay? They busy themselves on earth but their citizenship is in heaven. Man, this is, this is good. And then it says, goes on. They obey the established laws, okay? But in their own lives, they go far beyond what the laws require. Oh, come on. This is loving like Jesus loved. They don't just follow the rules. They go beyond, okay? They love all men and by all men are persecuted. Right? They, love, they love even their enemies. They, right? they are unknown and they are still condemned. They are put to death and yet they are brought to life. They are poor and yet they make many rich. They are completely destitute and yet they enjoy complete abundance. What a testimony of the early church. They lived differently with a basic holiness. And it made a difference to those observing from the outside looking in. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians, and he continues on in, verse, in chapter 7, his thought from 
Chapter six, he says this. Now getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me. This, the church wrote Paul, Paul's in prison, said, is it okay to have sex? Dear pastor. <laughs> so he says, first of all, hey, you wrote, you wrote to me asking. He says, is it a good thing to have sex relations? Which, come on, come on, come on. When, growing up in the church, I was taught, I thought for the longest time that sex was evil because it's like, it like, no, 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 thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not lust, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And I thought, well, it's just evil then. Come on, some of you raised in some religious homes too, come on. Right, and so they're asking Paul, Pastor Paul, is it okay then? Like you're saying, like there's, is it okay? And Paul's like, yes. In fact, his words were, certainly. It's good. But only within a certain context. It is good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Why? Well, he goes on, he says, sexual desires are strong. But the marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual Disorder. Okay, wait, wait, wait. This is not thou shalt not. This is saying I want you to have the most fulfilling, balanced, satisfying sexual life. And where you find that fulfillment is within a certain context. Then he says this. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. (laughs) 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 Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or not. Ooh, that is a statement. Come on. Isn't that right? What a statement. Now watch. Paul, in saying, in saying all this, this is what I want us to, to get an understanding. When we talk about the healthiest relationship is built on healthy foundations, and a healthy foundation is loving like Jesus loved, is healthy communication, but it's also a sense of basic holiness. And when I talk about holiness, I'm not talking about all the thou shalt nots. I'm not talking about restraining all the things that you're supposed to stand against and the things you're not supposed to do. I'm saying that the healthiest relationships are built on a foundation of, within a context of what God designed as the best. See, you and I, we can look at the Bible. We can look at the Bible as a rule book of the thou shalt nots. Okay, I'm going to cook. Is that all right? You've seen, some of you have seen me do this before. Okay, I can't even put on an apron, so never mind trying to cook. But look at, we can look at the Bible. We can look at the Bible as a bunch of, of, thou, of rules and thou shalt nots and all the things that we're not supposed to do and that we can't do anymore. We can look at it as a rule book and we can read it as, as a bunch of laws and, and the things that we stand against and what the church is not against. Or, or we can look at the Bible like it's a recipe manual, that it's an instruction book for life on how to get the best out of life. And it's specifically how to get the best out of our relationships. And in the context of the Bible, the Bible is not saying thou shalt not have sex outside of marriage. Thou shalt not 
you know, just fill in the blank. It's saying if you want the most fulfilling, if you want to have the best, if you want to do this, you need to you need to have sexual relationships and keep sexual relationships within the confines of a certain context of marriage, of commitment. That this is where you're going to have the most fulfillment. So we can look at the Bible and we say, okay, uh, you know, we can look at it as a rule book or we can look at it as a, as a recipe manual. And here's, you know, chocolate cake. And on the back of it, it tells me on how, step one, preheat the oven to 350. It tells me, I can look at that and it's saying, well, you're so cruel. You're so mean. I, what if I want to reheat it to something different? <laughs> Go ahead. your choice right go ahead you're not going to go to hell if you heat it at 250 you might come close if you heat it at 500 <laughs> just kidding but you can decide to fall. And it says, oh, you know, it, you know, put the mix in there and all the rest of it. What if I decide, if I can read the inside, like it's so restrictive. It's so old-fashioned. Chocolate cake. I want to make chocolate cake in, in today, in the way today is. And you can decide. You can look at the eggs and it says what to do with the eggs. And you can say, well, I, well, I, I want to fry the eggs before I put them in. <laughs> Your choice. Go ahead. And what you'll end up with. Oh, that stinks. I'm sorry. <laughs> and you can go ahead. You can go ahead if you'd like. It's within your You're not going to go to hell for that. But how many know the outcome is going to be different? And according to Paul, you'll end up lonelier than before. You'll end up with pain that you didn't know. You're going to end up battling shame. You're going to have, you're going to, you, sexual sin, he says, is different than other sins within the country. You can, you can do what you want, but how many know the result is going to be different? But if you follow, if you follow the instruction manual, that's better. Right, look, look at that. That is, that is beautiful. Whoa. Stay there. I might want to eat that later. You get my point? Because we can look at the Bible one way, or we can look at it another. And sometimes we can teach the Bible one way, or we can teach it another. But how many of you know, like within, within a basic holiness is not a rules of thou shalt not. A basic holiness is if the rules of what thou shalt do, like what you should do in order to get the best outcome. The healthiest outcome. The best relationship. And it doesn't just come to our sexual lives. It comes to all aspects of our lives. In how we communicate. In how we love. In how, uh, in how we you know, interact with one another. And Paul sums it up this way. And this sums up the entire series. Paul sums it up this way. Is that marriage or your most intimate relationships is a decision. Not a feeling. Hello. It's a decision to serve the other. That this is how you love like Jesus loved, is to serve the other. This is how you get the most out of your sexual life, is to serve the other. It's, it, how, this is how you get the most out of your communication, is to prefer and to serve 
the other. That this, you can sum up the foundations of an extreme home makeover is if we go countercultural to the world where the world is, look out for number one. I need, I need, I need you to serve me to meet my needs. I need somebody to fill my loneliness void. I need someone to fill my sexual needs. I need someone to make me feel good. And it's all about me. And then watch what happens. You're going to bake a cake and it ain't going to look like the one on the cover. I promise you. It's not going to look like what you promised, what you thought it was going to turn out to be. And then we can come to church and we hear this and we're going, I knew it. The church is against me. The church Bible's against me and God's against me and God's, God's doing this and going, no, 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 wait. Follow the recipe. If you want the most out of your relationships, follow the recipe. He promises the most fulfilling, satisfying outcome ever. Today's takeaway simply sums up this whole series as marriage is a decision to serve the other. You can, a healthy relationship is a decision to serve the other. Paul would say it this way in Ephesians, submit to one another. Submit simply means sub, beneath, mission. It's getting behind or beneath the other's mission. He says, if we each get behind or underneath the other's mission, you're going to find fulfillment that you're not going to find anywhere else. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Really, I thank you for the instructions that you give us, the, the recipes that you give us for the healthiest relationships. And God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see as you see, ears to hear as you hear. God, give us insight into your ways. Lord, not as you're against us, but that you're for us. And that you're wanting not to keep us from hell, but you're wanting what's best for us and the outcome that's best for us. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you're here this morning, you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, maybe your hesitation is because you know exactly what the church stands against, but you're not sure what the church stands for or what Jesus stands for. especially to those that were coloring outside the lines. The adulterous woman, the cheating tax collector. Jesus offered love unconditionally, the prostitutes. And he offers that same love and acceptance to you. And then he says to the adulterous woman, now that you've received my love and my grace, 
He said, color within the lines. It's going to go better for you. That loneliness you're trying to fill. Man. Said to the woman at the well, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not, not your husband. He says, that loneliness you're trying to fill. He says, come to me. I'll give you water that you'll thirst no more. That's our Jesus. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. If you've never prayed this prayer before and you haven't entered in a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to lead us in a prayer that just confesses that Jesus is God. And if you believe that he is and you believe that he rose again from the dead, and you pray this prayer for the first time right here and you believe it to be true. Right here, right now, you can begin relationship with him. So let's pray this together. Everyone repeat this after me. If you're watching online, pray with me wherever you are as well. Let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God and I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you right now to become my God, my Lord and Savior, and my friend. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins, for accepting me just as I am. I give my heart to you, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes and bow your heads out of respect to the people around you. If you pray this prayer for the first time, everyone else's eyes are closed and heads are bowed, would you just raise up your hand and say, yeah, I prayed this prayer for the first time. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus today. Thank you. If you prayed this prayer the first time you're watching online, just click on the, the comment below. It says, I have decided, and our team will reach out to you. We'll send you a free Bible to you. It explains what this relationship's all about. For those of you who prayed this prayer the first time, in this room we, in the lobby, we have uh, a Bibles there, our free gift to you. Just go and talk to one of our team there. They'd be happy to get you that Bible as well. Isn't God good?